I've had a brilliant time away, we all have, but it's good to be back. It's strange, I thought it might be weird coming in here this morning, but it feels like I was here last Sunday. I said to Ollie, it feels like I've not been gone, it feels like old times, and he said, we'll be the judge of that. <laughs> so, we'll find out, won't we? Uh, before I read from God's Word, I just want to... Um, share a couple of things just particularly with Wednesday coming up. Wednesday um, Bob will be coming into eldership at Beacon Church and this is, I know, good, good, I like that response. It's an exciting thing, it's a tremendous thing, it's a very poignant and significant thing. It's not just about Bob, it's not just about us as a team, it's about us as Beacon Church. We're moving into a new chapter at Beacon Church. I'm I'm delighted that in my absence there's been advance, it proves the point, it's not my church. It's Jesus' church, and he's growing, and he's advancing his kingdom through us and around us. And I'm just thrilled about Wednesday and what that signifies. It's more than just somebody else getting a leadership role. Eldership is fathering of the church, and this is so important. The church is the most precious thing on God's planet, and he really, it really bothers him that it's in good hands. And we trust, with Bob being on the team, it's going to be in good hands. But with that in mind... As many of you as possible, I understand some people can't make it, that's, that's fair, that's fine. But as many as possible, if you can be here on Wednesday night, as we gather as a church. Steph Liston, he's part of the apostolic team in relational mission. He'll be coming down, he, he's one of the leaders at our church in Camden. He'll be coming down for the evening to lead us in the commissioning of Bob and praying for us as a team as well. Please, as many of you as possible, be here. That would be brilliant. Um, with that in mind, can you be praying for us as a team? We're also very aware there is a pattern of we're seeing the devil having a poke because he doesn't like it. Um, it means we're onto a good thing. We should be weirdly encouraged by that. But the devil's having a go in terms of health and relationships and, and work and so on and so forth amongst us as a team. So please be, continue to be praying for us. And don't just stop on Wednesday, obviously. <laughs> Beyond that as well. But it's often in the run-up to these kind of things you see the devil having a stir and he has been. It means we're on to a good thing. He's having a right good poke, which means we're on to a right good thing. So uh, please keep praying for us as well. Um, just one more thing I just want to share is that we just need to realise between us that Bob's capacity and availability is quite different to others of us in the eldership. Obviously, I'm paid full-time. I'm, I'm available more than anyone. David is generally very free. Uh, John is generally very free, health-willing, health which is, is on, the, on the upturn with that, and we're delighted about so just please be aware that Bob is a head teacher of a school. He has a crazy working week, early mornings, late evenings. Sometimes he's working yesterday as well. Just please be aware of that in terms of your expectations on him for the operational stuff. Um, just be aware that you know, he can't help with all the day-to-day running of church. That's probably for me, John and David, to sort out and others. It's not even just an eldership role, of course. Um, just be aware of that. Pastoral concerns. Do- jo- What's your name? Bob will be in the loop um, behind the scenes and phone calls and sometimes meeting together to discuss pastoral concerns. Sometimes he will be able to step in face-to-face to to deal with them, but that might be more in the holiday time when he's a bit more available. There are other elders as well. So just be aware, eldership isn't doing a quarter of the role each in the team amongst four. It's sharing it in different ways and different gifts and different availabilities. So please just be aware of that as well. That will bless him and it'll bless us as we work to complement each other in our different shapes and our different giftings and availabilities. Does that make sense? Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Okay, so what am I going to speak about this morning? Um, Just those of you who might not be fully aware, I I know 
there's one or two new faces here this morning. Uh, Jenny and I, um, we've had a brilliant summer. Um, the Beacon Church, the trustees here have been really generous to us and let me have three months off um, to step out um, from Beacon Church for July, August and September to uh, just to refresh and recharge, ready for the next chapter here at Beacon. Um, we've had a brilliant time. We've had an amazing time. We went to, we've had lots of family time together. We went to California for 25 days. It was our 25th wedding anniversary in July. And so part of that, we got to celebrate that with a big splash out holiday in California. It was amazing. Um, lots of stories to tell. We, we hung out for quite a bit with the Shores. Tom and Josie Shaw, you may remember from Canterbury Church, moved to California two years ago, and they've now started, it's, it's begun, Sanctuary Church San Francisco, which we'll be praying for in a couple of weeks' time at Prayer and Vision as well. We'll be able to bring an update around that. They're doing really well. They're crazy busy, but they're flourishing. They're doing really, really well. Um, we've got lots of stories to tell from our time away. We've got stories about rattlesnakes by the river, snowballs in the summer and how we ended up with our own 63-foot yacht for five nights as well. The pulpit is not the place for these stories, okay? We're going to be digging into... Ah, oh, I know. We're going to be digging into God's Word in a minute. If you want to hear those stories, um, we're always open to invites, aren't we, darling? Particularly when food's involved. So feel free to invite us. Now, you get to hear these stories over the next few weeks and months, don't you worry. But suffice to say, I am refreshed. I am ready for the next chapter. I'm really excited to be here. As, as the end of September near, neared, I was getting more and more excited about just getting back and getting stuck in. God's got some great stuff planned for us, and I can't wait to be a part of that. So that's, that's, um, that's what I've been learning a little bit of what's been happening over the summer. I've had lots of lessons. God's spoken to me. I think the biggest take-home for us is that three months of being in each other's pockets, we've learned that we won't kill each other in retirement. So <laughs> that's quite good to know. We've had 24, pretty much 24-7 in each other's pockets, and we actually still quite like each other. So, so, yes, my darling. <laughs> we had a brilliant time to, time away, but, hey, what? Yes, we do, my darling. Sorry, yes. I love you very, very much from the heart of my bottom. So, I mean the bottom of my heart. We've had lots of lessons, uh, lots of ways God has spoken to me, um, but there was one place that I got really stuck in when it came to my devotional times was Psalm 90. Uh, can we have the... We've got the slide up. Fantastic. Um, Psalm 90. We, um, when, I was, when I was having my devotional times, I read various parts of the Bible. There were various things that I kind of dwelt on for periods at a time. But Psalm 90 was the one I got stuck in for the longest and had to keep returning to. God kept nudging something in me that was just teaching me that there's something here you need to get under the bonnet of. So that's what I've done. And that's, that's what I want to share with you this morning. There's nothing new here. There's nothing groundbreaking, but I trust it's going to be helpful as we step into the next season at Beacon Church, that our posture as a church is in the right place for hearing from God, from following God and relying on God as we do so. So if you want to turn to Psalm 90, and what we're going to do, I've called this Holy Reflections, because that's what they are. As I work through, we're going to work through piecemeal few verses at a time and um, that's what they are holy reflections that's what it's going to be this morning we're going to work our way all the way through the psalm but it's also for another reason that will become apparent later but first of all where's the best place to start at the beginning you'd have thought so we're going to start with verse one but Moses actually it's Moses who wrote this um, I know David was the John Lennon of his time but um, other people wrote some of the psalms as well Moses in fact himself wrote this one 
And what he does in these first couple of verses, he starts before the beginning, which I love. Let's start, first two verses, let's just read these first of all. This is what Moses says. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Straight out of the gate, he deals with the big stuff. Whenever we, you or I, fear the future, whenever we get anxious about changes in circumstances and so on and so forth, generally speaking, that's because we've shrunk our view of God. Yeah? What Moses is reminding us right from the beginning, he's saying God has always been there. Despite all the unbelief, despite all the rebellion over thousands of years of humanity being around here, God is still here. God is still on the throne. And that is not going to change. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now I reckon that's probably a bit of a giveaway when it comes to what the future holds and how I face that when I'm facing trials. You know, the question, just how big and powerful is this God? Moses, straight from the beginning, is saying he's more than enough. The very first thing we need to remember is God is more than enough. I mean, if you look at the universe, it's been observed that the galaxies are pulling apart from each other. The distances between the galaxies and the universe are getting bigger and bigger. The universe is stretching, the universe is expanding. The universe is getting bigger and bigger. And yet God, who created that, is bigger still. Yeah, we need to remember this. Richard Rohr is a Franciscan friar from Kansas who I've been reading over the summer. And he says this, he says, God is not a being among other beings, but rather he is being itself. Sometimes in our heads, we, 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 we're humans, we, we struggle with our brains, we can picture God as a big thing in the universe. In our reality, God is the biggest part of our reality. God is not a part of our reality, he is reality. God is not just something big that exists, God is existence itself. As soon as we remember that, it suddenly reframes everything we face, everything we see, everything we think of. And Moses, right at the beginning, is saying, before we contemplate anything else, don't make God smaller than he is. And that's really helpful. But then he continues, verse 3. You return man to dust, and you say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past." Or as a watch in the night. So he's taking it, Moses is taking it away from physical things and now he's talking about time. There's a big disagreement today. It still rages on about the fabric of time. Is it a simple string of events? Is time cyclical? Is time real? All these questions keep floating around. What we do know, one thing we do know, is that we experience time as a series of happenings, don't we? To all of us, none of us with special. There's no X-Men in the room. We all only experience time as a series of happenings. Yes? Yes. We don't know what's coming. We don't know what's in front of us. But we do know what's happened, what's been and gone. We do know what's behind us. That is our experience of time. And yet Moses is saying, for God, it's not like that. He might be in the now, but he's also not restricted to the now either. He's saying, a thousand years in your sight... In God's sight, a thousand years, what's in front of God, is the same as yesterday when it is past, what's behind him. Same for God, what's in front of him in time, 
is the same as what's behind him. He's not restricted by time. Again, Moses is reiterating God's otherness. He's saying he's not only above what we now know as the three dimensions, up and down, left and right, forward and back. Outside of physical constraints, God is also outside of time restraints as well. There is nothing that God is not aware of or unable to deal with. And this is something we need to remember. Whenever we start getting anxious about what's going on, we need to remember God is outside of all this and more than capable. I know this is nothing new for us, but my, how many times do we need to remember this? Yeah? So then Moses continues. Verse 5. He says, You sweep them, this is us, you sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. See, I've always loved the idea of travelling in time. I've always loved the idea of seeing this landscape, Kent, before there were any roads, any big buildings. I'd love to go even further back and see the dinosaurs with my own eyes. Wouldn't that be cool? I'd love it. But, unfortunately, time is a one-way road. We're born, we live we die. It is an irresistible one-way onrush of moments and we are swept along in this flood. It's a really interesting word that Moses uses. It says it's a flood, which means we have no means of swimming against the flow of this. Can't resist it. Can't slow, down, slow time down. We just have to go with this flood. I mean, even scientists today describe time like a river. And there's Moses using this kind of language already, which means he was ahead of his time. I oh, thank you. But the waters carry us forward, and we can't avoid it. Nothing, there's nothing we can do about it. So he's saying, remember, once again, time is outs- uh, God is outside of physical restraints, but God is also outside of time's restraints as well. And what does he throw into the, uh, in this? He says, we are not. We are not outside of those. We need to remember God is outside of all this. We are not. So this is where Moses then starts getting a bit heavy. It's worth it. We've got to get through it. So then Moses comes to verse 7. It says, For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. I mean, Moses himself lived to 120. So his strength must have been like Arnold Schwarzenegger's. Uh, even by reason of strength 80 but for everyone on this planet yet their span is but toil and trouble they are soon gone and we fly away who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you so what Moses is doing here having established how great God is and how fragile we are within that he's directly linking sin and death here which should never be separated Death is a consequence of sin. And our fragility is a direct result of our brokenness. It's on us. Because loving anything other than God brings relationship breakdown. And between us and God, who brought the brokenness to that relationship? Was it him? Was it us? Of course it was. Because he's holy, there's a consequence to that. And that includes death. Death is separation. If anybody wants anything other than God, you'll get it. If you don't want him, you'll get not him. 
horrible place to end up for eternity. That's complete separation. There's physical separation, physical death on this planet, but there's spiritual death as well. And so for those of us that are Christians even still, we live on a physical planet that is broken in itself. We're in, we're in these feeble fleshly bodies. We still physically die. But the thing we need to remember, we need to put this in the whole biblical context, we need to remember that because of Jesus, because of God himself who was outside of physical constraints and outside of time constraints, he had this willingness to step into that very consequence of sin, death and suffering, and to lift us back out so we don't have to spiritually die. On the cross, Jesus stepped into that death. He stepped into that ultimate horrible suffering and he burst out in glorious resurrection. And anybody who accepts him as Lord gets exactly the same. He, God stooped down to us in the dirt with his big, great extended hand and all you need to do is grab, grab that and he'll pull you out of the mire. That's simply the gospel. That's the good news of what the Bible presents that's available for all of us. And so for those of us who trust in him, who trust in his sacrifice and resurrection, this God who is outside of physical and time restraints, this great kind God has made a way to never fear death itself, which is what Moses is doing here. He's reframing. He's not getting morbid. He's just being honest. Because yet, death is a reminder of our fragility. Death is a reminder of our dependence. And yes, it's an affront to us deep inside, even if we can't quite put our finger on it. There's something we know deep inside that we're designed for more than this. But as Christians, we can stand and say, to live is Christ, to die is gain. There's an absolute secure and confident hope that we can cling to. And that's available for each one of us who place our trust in Jesus. We can stare death in the face and we cannot tremble. When uh, over the summer we were visiting cousins a few weeks back and the subject came up where uh, myself and one of the cousins, we... Um, we're both turning 50 within the next 15 months or so. She's just a few months ahead of me. I was explaining, I'm quite looking forward to it. It's just a number, but I really, I really like getting older. For me, I just really like there's more to see, more to do, more to explore. And why, even at my age, my joints are going and I have trouble getting out of a chair sometimes, I do. But I, I just enjoy the process of getting older. There's more to, more to discover, more to learn, more to grow into and step into. And It's an adventure as far as I'm concerned. But I take it for granted that's because of what Jesus has put in me. I've got this security about getting older and knowing I'm probably in my second half of my life. I'm all right with that. I'm fine with that. But immediately the subject came up. Our cousin, she welled up, she choked up, her chin was trembling. She, said, she just shut the conversation down. She said, I don't want to talk about this. She cannot face the number. For her, it wasn't about loss of looks or anything like that. She, she likes dolling herself up, but she's not, she's, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't about a physical thing. This was about a realisation of her mortality. And she was like, I, do, I don't want to even think about this. It was, re, it was so much so we just had to change the conversation, but I'm hoping to not leave it there. I think there's a great opportunity to pursue that further with her at some point. Please, you don't need to know her name. Please pray for her. But... I suddenly made me realise how easily it comes to me because I've got a trust in Christ that there's something even greater on the other side. I'm absolutely fine with that, so I'm going to make the most of my time here. But for others, that suddenly becomes a whole other scary business. And in my times as paramedic, I've had the opportunity to pray with people as they die. It's been a real privilege, but I'm also aware of other people who have been screaming in terror because they don't know what's on the other side. It's horrible. As Christians, we don't need that. We don't need to face death and tremble. We can have an absolute confidence and a deep-seated joy in it. And what Moses does here, he is facing 
in words, the greatest, most sobering of wake-up calls, death itself, and he's turning it into something greater. He doesn't let it get him down. What he does, he wants it to fire him up, both in heart and in action. Verse 12, he says, So, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we, get, we may get a heart of wisdom. Now, when it comes to things like retirement, planning your holidays next year, those are good things to plan. But they are big assumptions, aren't they? Not being funny, I don't know if I'm going to be here tomorrow. It's the truth. It's the reality. It's good that we still need to plan these things. Of course you do. You save money. But it's a big assumption that it's going to happen, isn't it? Now, there's, there's a helpful le- lesson I've learned from Islam, which is probably a sentence you didn't expect to hear at church this morning. But bear with me. There are lessons for us everywhere as long as we always keep our biblical spectacles on. Okay? But I know there is a command in the Quran that Muslims practice called inshallah. They need to repeat this word, inshallah. It means if God wills. And they need to, it needs to be you know, re- repeatedly in the small things of life. Um, for example, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll Bob and I, we're, we've arranged to meet each other at uh, 10 tomorrow, inshallah, if God wills. Or, you know, Tuesday we're going out to dinner, if God wills. Next Saturday we're going to go and visit the cousins, if God wills. It needs to be a repeated thing. Now, while that can be something that's so rote, you've, it loses its power, there's a real value to it that I'm realising the phrase God willing has kind of disappeared from our vernacular a little bit. We do still use it sometimes, but it's usually about just the big stuff. We've got houses for sale, hopefully we'll be in our new home by Christmas, God willing. Sometimes we use that. But we don't use it that much about the small stuff, do we? And I'm wondering if maybe there's value in me making a point of saying it just to realise the urgency to the time I have on this planet. I wonder if it'll help me. You know, next week I'm popping over to my friend's house, God willing. I'm suddenly realising there's a lesson here. Moses is saying, teach us to number our days. How, many, how often do I actually think about how long I've got left on this planet? Because that will give me a new sense of urgency to share in the gospel in whichever way God presents for me. Quite often, I'm in my own little bubble of the now. I'm not appreciating what opportunities are available for me. Sometimes I pray for more opportunities to share the gospel and not realise they're always there. <laughs> I've just got to see it through God's eyes. And having a sense of urgency might change that. So God willing, I think would be a more helpful way of doing it if I just get used to it, get into the habit of it. I think it's a really helpful command from the Quran. It would be nice if we had the same kind of command in the Bible, wouldn't it? Do you think? Because it is. James chapter 4 and verse 13. James 4, verse 13. James says, Come now, you who say... Today or tomorrow, we, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Sounds like Moses, doesn't he? James continues, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. That needs to be my attitude far more than I see happening in my life. Lord, teach me to number my days. God willing is a really helpful phrase to keep using, I think. So now, with these reflections in mind, what uh, Moses starts doing, he starts coming into land at verse 13. I've lost my psalm now. 
Verse 13, this is what he says. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we, we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Just repeat that line from verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. You see, true, deep-seated joy is only ever going to be found in him. The more we reflect on what we have been saved from and what we have been saved into, reflecting on his steadfast love, that is key to finding joy in the mundane as well as joy in the crisis. I think... I tend, to find, I tend to turn to God more when I'm in crisis. And I've, it's not a fair weather faith, it's the opposite of that. Quite often when the crisis comes, I do turn to him. What my danger is, is to not be turning to me enough in the everyday comfortable parts of life. I think it's a, particularly for us in Western modern world, I think that's the biggest danger for us. I mean, Moses here says about, about doing this for as many years as we have seen evil... We do see it. We look on the news. We look around in our neighbourhoods. We look on the global um, picture even right now. We see a world on fire, don't we? But imagine if every morning we sought satisfaction. We truly sought satisfaction in his steadfast love. That would change how we step into each day. That would change it every single time. So that's a bunch of holy reflections that Moses has led us through that I think are really helpful about how immense and how other God is, about the urgency to our short time here to prioritise and worship with what we have. They're a valuable discipline that is often missed and I need to keep going back through this and rinse and repeat, keep reminding myself to do these things. But there's another meaning to the phrase too because we can try and do all this on our own strength, can't we? But more importantly... We need God's help, don't we? Verse 16, this is what Moses says next. And this is, this is the verse that really struck me and this is where we need to get under the bonnet of what actually is beneath these words. Um, verse 16, Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. It's that second line that is the one that kind of really highlighted to me in the whole Psalm, your glorious, show your glorious power to our children. The point he's trying to make is that no one can rely on someone else's experience of meeting with God. He's saying here, the children here cannot rely on their parents' encounters with God. They need their own. We all have to meet with God for ourselves. And that is where true transformation truly begins. We can't rely on just getting the top up of church on Sundays. What about Monday to Saturday? We can't just rely even on a moment when we met with God in 1989. <laughs> that goes off the boil. What about since then? We need this face-to-face -face encounter with God for ourselves. We can't rely on others. Because Moses himself, he saw God with his own eyes. So much so he had to wear a veil because his face was shining. It was radiant with the glory of God. He reflected God's glory literally. So the key here is that we are not only meant to have holy reflections, to perform holy reflections. We're also meant to be holy reflections. 
You see, Moses' own face reflected God's glory. And as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Now, I can be passive in that and think, oh, good. Oh, good. My face is unveiled and beholding his glory, I'll reflect him. It doesn't work like it doesn't work passively, does it? We've got to step in and seek his face. We've got to press into his throne room. We've got to meet with him on a daily basis, hourly basis. We've got to walk around with this kind of primal undergirding awareness of who we are in him while we're walking down the high street, while we're in Tesco, while we're talking to our neighbour over the fence, while we're at work. We need to be aware of I'm standing in God's presence and he wants to use me. That's when we start reflecting his glory. That's when Holy Spirit starts working through us rather than getting caught up in the bling of life and not even giving him one thought for the day. If we want to see any kind of progress or transformation in our lives, it means meeting with God himself for ourselves. It means reflecting on his immensity and power. It means appreciating what he has saved us from, what he has saved us into, and asking to see his work and his glorious power in our lives and in our, tr- in our children's lives. How often do I truly set aside time to do this? How often do you truly set aside time to do this? How often do we reflect upon his immensity, our fragility, and truly seek his face? It's a fair question. And I don't just mean going through the Christian, the Christian motions. I mean meeting with God. Because only then can we really dare ask what Moses asks. Verse 17, the final verse. On the back of that, Moses dares ask this. Let the favour of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. That's a, that's a daring thing to ask. But he knows in the light of everything and in God's mercy, he's able to. That's us as well. Because the question is, as we step into this next season at Beacon Church, who do we want to be? Who do we want to be as Beacon Church? Do we want to be good citizens who are keeping the peace, who are uh, leading quiet and comfortable lives? Or do we want to be agents of change who are reflecting the glory of the Lord, of this immense God that we've met with, letting his light shine through us and around us, in the streets and the alleys and the homes and the neighbourhoods and the workplaces around us. What would we rather? Do we want comfortable lives? Or the ones where we step out, seek his face and let him use us for his glory? I'm asking you. If we're truly, truly meant to embrace what it means about family, about growth, about invitation and flourishing in those areas in here in the church, if we're to truly embrace everything it means to be family, it's going to take the humility and it's going to take empathy that can only come from Holy Spirit working through us as we seek to work together to be family. That's what it's going to take, God willing. And if we want to truly grow together, letting our roots in Jesus go, go deep together, disciples making disciples that make disciples, if we want to see that, that's going to take the favour of the Lord upon us and some scary vulnerability together. Being honest with each other, looking each other in the eyes and being honest about where we're at and where we need help. That's pretty scary. But that's what we need. We need to meet with God to spur us into this. And if we want to be increasingly invitational as well, that's going to take boldness, isn't it? That's going to take a diminished fear of man. It's going to take a sense of the urgent. 
So I need to keep reminding myself of this. It's going to take the Lord establishing the work of our hands. We are only here for a short duration. It's sobering, but it's true. And we've got work to do, God willing. So I'm going to ask you in a moment to stand with me if you want to step into this. This is a new chapter at Beacon. God has got stuff for us, but we've got to be willing to grasp it. And it will not be comfortable. I'm sure of that. But it'll be worth it. It's going to take us to have a sense of the urgency, to number our days, to gain wisdom, to seek his steadfast love every day, to undergird a joy in us that we need, that will make his light shine and people will notice. It's going to take some effort on our behalf. So Pete, if you want to, when you're able to, can we get ready? You can start playing in the background. Cheers, man. But I just think there's a place here for us to step into this. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to, to stand. If you're unable to stand, that's fine. You lift your hand. It's about a posture. If you don't want to stand, that's fine. Everybody else, don't worry about what other people are doing. Worry about you. You're not obliged to stand, but if you want to stand. It's just that no one's taking names or a head count. It's not about that either. It's about you and God meeting with him for yourself in a place where your posture makes a difference to your heart's posture. As you stand, there's something, something happens in your spirit. It's not just about using your legs. Does this make sense? You're, you're, you're saying to God, I want to take this seriously. I need your help for this. So just close your eyes for a minute. There's opportunity now to meet with him, to humble ourselves before him. Lord, we come before you. We recognize you are you're bigger than the air we breathe. You are bigger than the expanding universe. You are outside of time's constraints. You know all things. You know what's best for us. You're a good God who is not just unchanging, but unable to change. You are so dependent. You are, you're so, you are our absolute rock, Lord. And we are fragile, but we are in your hands. We're here for a duration. You've got a job for us to do, Lord. We need your help. We cannot do that in our own strength. We'll trip up at the first hurdle. But Lord, as your people represented here at Beacon Church, Lord, we, we come before you. And if you want to say you want this, then I'm just going to ask you just to stand now or if you're unable to, raise your hand. Go for it. Say we... Lord, we need more of you. Lord, we need to see your face in all your glory. We should not take your holiness lightly. You're a scary God, but you're also Father. Lord, let, let us never lose sight of your fatherhood, but let us never lose sight of your scariness either. Because you're more than we can imagine. More perfect than we can ever imagine dare get our heads round and yet because of your steadfast love you reach down to pick us up Lord we're here for you whatever it is you have planned we're here for you Lord as we fix our eyes on you will you do something in us right now that's for your glory for the advance of your kingdom for the building of your church 
give ourselves to you. Let's, let's sing together. Let's see what God does.